I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. Welcome to the Rebel Wellness Podcast, where we embrace a holistic approach to personal health and empower women to break free from the noise of today's diet culture. I'm your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales, and I'm thrilled to have you join us on this journey to becoming healthier, stronger, and more resilient in this life. If you found this podcast, you might be somebody who is tired of feeling bombarded with unrealistic body standards and conflicting health advice and just ready to rebel against the one-size-fits-all approach to wellness. This is a great opportunity and place to create a lifestyle that truly works for you. And I want to welcome you to your new home for everything health and wellness without any of those influences. Rebel Wellness is rooted in the belief that true wellness goes beyond just diet and exercise. It's about nurturing our minds bodies, and souls in a way that aligns with our unique needs and values. So if you are new here, I want to extend a very warm welcome. And if you are a ride or die, hello again. So happy that you have returned. Oh boy, this is about to be some good discussions this entire series. So buckle up, sis, because we are entering a three-month series that I decided to call Hot Take Summer where I'm going to share all my thoughts and professional opinions on topics that you set me over the last six plus months from when uh, Rebel Wellness honestly was launched. It's insane to think that it's been half a year now and I have been loving it, loving meeting all you guys, um, seeing the podcast grow in a short amount of time. Can only imagine how it's going to go down the line. But with all that said, so many of these topics have been like much anticipated conversations uh, that either my clients or my friends or the community has kind of been chatting about. And so I'm really excited to talk it all out together with hopes that you might get a stronger opinion rooted in not only true science, but also real life experience. But as we head into this entire series for the next three months, I just want you to please know that I'm going to share my brutal, honest opinions on these topics. They're simply my opinions as a nutritionist, as a fitness professional who's been in this industry for the last decade. Um, And they may not always be true for every friggin' situation out there, but I'm basing it upon what is common for us like everyday people. So versus uh, maybe like a 2% of people where it doesn't apply to, um, we're not talking to you 2%, unfortunately, (laughs) we're talking to the 98%. I just wanted to set the table there for that now because this whole series is going to be like about... How do we absorb and uh, dissect and understand all of these different fad topics versus like highly specific niche kind of opinions that come from left and right all over health talk, Instagram, Fitspo, etc. And look, like I have big love for everyone. And if it doesn't resonate, that's absolutely okay. But if it does, I'd love to hear about it. And if you want to share these episodes with somebody who you might think will benefit from this knowledge exchange, you also have that really cool option on Spotify to like share the story and it gives you like the cool little link and it looks very aesthetic. (laughs) But also don't forget to follow us in our growing community that's on at Rebel Wellness Podcast on Instagram or my flagship coaching page at Coach by Kales. I've been really enjoying seeing all these new faces on there come join us. It's It's been a fun ride so far and is only going to continue to get better. And if you haven't seen it yet, our show notes are actually filled with 
great information on all of the podcasts, including timestamps for important parts of the show and uh, affiliate codes, actually, for awesome discounts from only companies that I have personally used, do currently use, and trust. So I am not the kind of person to sell out for affiliates for just any random company. Um, That's why you currently, especially, don't hear random ads on my podcast. I'm not a big fan of um, kind of selling ad space like that. Maybe in the future I might, but currently right now we're keeping it really lean, straight to the point, and authentic. So do know that I don't like to sell things to people unless I care about the company or know that it can benefit you individually. So if you're looking for any affiliate codes to get discounts on things all the way from like 15% off hormone testing from yourhormonebalance.com, highly recommend that, and um, iconic protein shakes for high quality protein on the go, those are all going to be in the show notes. So check them out. And I do want to say that this episode's topic to kick off this hot take summer does need a trigger warning because this conversation is going to involve diet talk, including eating disorder conversations. So proceed accordingly and prepare emotionally as needed, or don't listen to it if it's something that you know might be emotionally too triggering. So I just want to make sure that that is sensitive for any of you who uh, need to know that ahead of time. Okay, so... I'm sure you already know what this topic is about because you clicked on the episode and it's in the title, but we're going to kick off Hot Take Summer with literally one of the most buzz topics right now in the dieting scene, especially, especially this last year, and that is Ozempic. And to actually be technically correct, um, Ozempic has kind of become like the Ziploc of semaglutides. It's like the well-known name. And actually, Ozempic is just a brand name for a semaglutide. So to make sure you understand that semaglutides is the type of specific medication and Ozempic, Manjaro, Wegovy, Ribelisys, those are all brand names for semaglutides. So the active ingredient is from the semaglutide factor. And like, why is this so important to talk about? Well, not only is it because it's freaking everywhere. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked about Ozempic from clients or friends or whatever in the last like two years, mostly honestly in the last like eight months, probably because that's when like the Kardashians made it popular and then more people made it popular and now freaking Elon Musk is on it. Um, So I'm sure a lot of people have questions, they're they're concerned, they're considering it maybe, etc. And so I want to make sure that we talk about it right away so that this episode will answer all of your basic questions and won't get into like too much of the boring science because that's not entirely what matters because what matters a little bit more here is the actual human experience of these drugs and my overall thought process as a long-term seasoned wellness coach, nutritionist, fitness professional, etc. So without further ado, let's go all the way into it. So the first question you might be asking is what the heck is a semaglutide? Because that's exactly what I asked myself when I first heard about it. So it's technically a glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonist. 
and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. No, you don't know what I still mean because honestly, I still don't entirely know. But let's go further into that. Semaglutide is an increasing popular peptide that is used for weight loss, obviously, and managing diabetes. That is the kind of alternate side of this whole uh, narrative, especially on like the social media side. Peptides are naturally found in the body. They are composed of amino acids. And when peptides are combined with others, um, they form proteins. So hello protein episode not that long ago aka episode 20 if you missed that episode definitely recommend you go back to it it's arguably probably one of the most uh, important ones out of that entire macro series so episode 20 go back and listen to it um but they're essential to several biological processes like tissue muscle repair hormone production immune modulation cognitive health weight loss inflammation reduction dna repair and a whole bunch of more things So the semaglutide drug class is called GLP-1 receptor agonists. A lot of obesity-centric or specialist doctors will refer to these more as GLP-1 receptor agonists versus semaglutides or the brand names like Ozempic and Wegovy, etc. In this category are a whole bunch more than just the ones I listed, like um, there's actually another version that's called a liraglutide, which they might be under the names of like Victoza and Saxadena. They're all essentially kind of utilizing the same processes overall and how it affects you metabolically. So how does it affect you metabolically? So it works by mimicking peptides, aka the small protein molecules that stimulate glucose dependent insulin secretion. So essentially they're triggering the cells in your pancreas, which your pancreas is what excretes insulin. So this is where type one diabetics who are born with diabetes or uh, develop into it as an autoimmune. If you didn't already, type one diabetics is an autoimmune situation where the body is attacking the cells of the pancreas, making the pancreas no longer to um, excrete insulin. This is why type one diabetics have to inject insulin into themselves. Whereas type two diabetics don't have to do that. And type two diabetics actually can reverse their diabetes through nutrition and lifestyle. Um, Even though a lot of people say no, I actually have several clients where we've done that together and many of them have stayed off of their like metformin and stuff because of it. So we do know that diet and lifestyle influences type two diabetes the most out of any other situation. But with that said, um, essentially the semaglutides work in triggering the cells in your pancreas to release more insulin. So they slow your gastric emptying. So you're feeling fuller longer. And they also reduce glucagon release, which makes your blood sugar levels pretty much stable, but not too low, which is really interesting. So essentially what it's doing is it's making your blood sugar not spike and it's kind of sort of leveling it out, but it also is reducing your gut motility, which means that your aka gastric emptying. So your gastric is your stomach and your intestines. And so as it's emptying itself, it utilizes like the muscles in your stomach walls and your intestinal walls to move food along, get it digesting. What it's doing is essentially making it kind of, I was going to say like kind of dumb, but like basically like in the sense where it's just moving really slow. So it turns from like a cheetah into a sloth essentially. So it's moving very slowly and uh, taking a lot more time, 
which makes you feel fuller longer and is why essentially you eat fewer calories because it's a uh, reduction in food intake by default of not being hungry and also not being able to eat as much. So it's also important to note that like these drugs were initially developed to treat diabetes since we have this massive epidemic, especially in the United States, of uh, way too many people with diabetes. I think it's nearly 40% of the U.S. has diabetes. Um, Yeah, it's crazy. That's a lot. I know. And it's true. And there's quite a bit of people that are undiagnosed. I think it's like one in, it's either one in five or one in three have undiagnosed diabetes and or pre-diabetes. That's scary. You know, I mean, even both my, all of my parents are pre-diabetic or diabetic. Um, this is exactly why I got into this industry is not because of my parents, because they were not in this position before I became a health professional. But uh, actually my grandparents, especially my grandfather, he had diabetes and that had a huge impact on me because it was type two, extremely manageable and or reversible. And uh, he just couldn't get it Uh, under control. And I mean, honestly, something like Ozempic probably would have really helped him a ton, but um, I'm not going to feel as though it didn't go the way it was supposed to, because maybe I would never have gotten into the position I am now and, and fortunately been able to, um, as I've been told from several clients in the past, help save lives and do so much great work where I've just gotten to really have a hand in changing people's understanding about their health and their family's health, which probably would never have happened if I didn't go through the trauma of losing my grandfather at a younger age due to um, something highly nutrition related and lifestyle related. So that's a little background on me if you haven't met me yet or listened to my uh, about me story. But even in my own family, a large majority of people are pre-diabetic or already diabetic. Um, on both sides, unfortunately. And it's something that a lot of people don't fully understand and take for granted. And let me tell you, it's not worth it to just become diabetic, even though like if you have the opportunity to know you are in a pre-diabetic zone, get yourself out of there. And I'm not going to say that that means take Ozempic or any other semaglutide, but as a side tangent on the topic of diabetes, take it seriously, okay? Um, so coming back to semaglutides though, I want to make sure we understand that yes, a lot of the arguments online are about the fact that, um, it has reduced periodically access to semaglutides for diabetic people, but do know that semaglutides is just another form of diabetes management in a large realm of opportunities and options available to diabetics. It's not quite the same, let's say, as medication for people with diseases that are irreversible that keep them alive. Um, Semaglutides are not the same as that. They are not a like perfect miracle drug for everyone on diabetes, but they are definitely something that needs to be taken seriously and consistently if somebody, especially with somebody with diabetes, chooses to go down this route. We'll get a little bit more into kind of what that means, but a lot of people have kind of wrongly um, accused people taking semaglutides just for physique reasons or whatnot as uh, stealing it away from diabetics. To some extent, yes. To other extents, uh, no, because it is also 
widely available now, especially as the um, demand has increased. So like anything, when something gets randomly a huge spike out of nowhere, so like an unexpected increase in demand, um, there's going to be a short period of time where there's a shortage. However, as far as I have seen and know, we are kind of moving out of that zone now because pharmacies have kind of ramped up production to meet the demand. So it's not necessarily something that has a limited supply um, and it has multi-purposes for different scenarios. So we're going to dive into that here in a second. So again, to summarize how the semaglutide works is it basically helps control your blood sugar levels by increasing your insulin release and decreasing glucagon release. And it's also helping manage your leptin and ghrelin, which are your hunger and satiation hormones. And it also slows down your stomach emptying and reduces appetite because of that. So TLDR, it improves your blood sugar control and it can promote weight loss because you are consuming less. So kind of that classic equation of eat less, burn more. But in this way, it's assisted by a med. So the next question to probably answer if it's on your mind is that how long do you need to be on it? So I did a real deep dive research over this entire uh, medication line. So semaglutides in general for the last maybe eh, 10 months, maybe a year now, honestly, because I actually did have a client um, who more specifically was in the right category to try it as a medicinal intervention due to us exhausting all options and quite literally following the best general health foundational uh, wellness habits for literally over two and a half years. And so while there might be um, variables that I was not in control of, there are some people who land in a category very specific, and I will continue that in a moment. But for the question of how long do you need to be on it and um, how much I <laughs> prepared for this conversation was I have read over 40 articles, listened to 15, uh, maybe more than 15 actually, um, YouTube case study accounts or personal accounts on their Ozempic experience. I've spoken to three different practitioners and also painstakingly read over 20 um, PubMed published articles on this. So I, as I have told you guys before, I mean, honestly, this topic has probably been most the most in-depth I've ever gotten because I am so critical of things like this, like quote unquote magic pills for fat loss. Um, but I want to make sure you guys understand that these thoughts I've had are not just from like an anecdotal one-time experience. This is something that I've taken really seriously to try to kind of get a well-rounded opinion on. So how long do you need to be on it? is um, a little bit like, so with all that said, across the board, it's not a straight answer. And let's just say that when it comes from any medical-based source or some, somewhere that is basically being fed the direct information from the pharmaceutical companies, they actually want people to be on this for life. Yeah, you heard that right. They basically want you to be on this drug for the rest of your life and you cannot come off of it because there's a lot of evidence that you'll gain back a significant amount of the weight lost and all the metabolic benefits once you discontinue use. 
So from a drug maker's perspective, that is a perfect drug because it's treating a problem but never fixes it. And it requires lifelong therapy, which guarantees consistent use, consistent purchase, et cetera. That is literally the best thing that can ever be created in big pharma because it's guaranteed money for the pharmaceutical companies and potentially at mass amounts. However, some of you, like me, have probably seen that there's been several people who are not necessarily in the diabetic or morbidly obese categories. Um, and I say morbidly obese in the medical term. I'm not using it um, for slang or slander um, that have utilized this drug to get some of the extra weight that was stubborn off. And this is where it's a little controversial. However, some people have noted that because they had lifestyles and eating habits already established beforehand that got them to essentially a healthier weight. And all they're trying to do is get to a leaner weight, which is arguably not always healthier, but might be fulfilling a physique look, um, especially if they're like a model or a celebrity or something that they have been trying towards. But frankly, when you get to a healthy zone, like I've spoken about before, your body doesn't always want to get even leaner. Just because our brain decides I want to <laughs> cut up my sides and see my abs more, like not literally cut up, but like from the uh, fitness term, <laughs> cut up, like lean out, essentially. Um, your body is like, no, I want that fat there because it's helping me have healthy menstrual cycles. And we're just like, yeah, but I would really like to see more ab muscles. So I look sexier in a bikini this summer or when I go to Santorini or something like that, you know, and that can be a position that is painstakingly hard to get your body to respond to. Therefore, some people have been utilizing ozempic, semaglutides, etc., to try to get there. And for some people, it has worked. Do we know how long it's going to last? We're not sure yet. And that's actually something that from all of the research I've done, I have not seen. But what I do want to know is I'd be really curious to see the long-term effects of staying at that leanness because regardless of using a medication to get to a certain body fat percentage, I do know, we do know, especially in the wellness world, uh, for females, if you start to get under that 22-20% body fat, you get into a dangerous zone for hormone health, which means dangerous zone for mental health. And that ends up having like diminishing returns, no matter how much leaner you get. And so that's kind of problematic. So I felt unlike a lot of other podcasts or articles, um, it is important to note that some people are using it and getting off of it and maintaining that new physique, at least in the several months um, after it, enough time for them to share their uh, testimony. So what are the major health effects that can occur? So the long-term effects potentially could be pancreatitis um, or cancer of the pancreas, um, thyroid cancers. That is one that is typically on the medication itself because it's happened enough that they have to put it as a risk on the packaging and gallstones. So gallbladder problems in general, but particularly gallbladder stones, which is essentially a really, it's basically the same thing as kidney stones. It's when you have a really uh, hard little, basically like a tiny stone of buildup of minerals in an organ that usually would filter just right out. 
but instead is just staying there and then it has to pass. And it's really painful for those giant masses to pass out of an organ that's not supposed to even be there. Those are the three major negative long-term side effects that they have noted to be potential. Short-term side effects that are pretty much consistently going to happen across the board that would be important to know would be nausea, 100% nausea, <laughs> diarrhea, vomiting, and constipation. Um, some of the lesser common side effects that are like more acute would be like belching uncontrollably, feeling bloated, uh, gaseous stomach pain, heartburn, fevers, and stomach discomfort. So pretty much side effects of anything with a gut issue, because that is exactly what semaglutides work on is your gut. So a large majority of people, like I believe it's um, one in three or two in three, do experience nausea, at least in the beginning of utilizing a semaglutide injection. I'm speaking more about injections because that is the more common one. There are oral versions of semaglutides, but they are a little bit lesser um, effective for a lot of people. So mostly I'm talking about injections. I probably should have noted that earlier. But anyways, and then naturally, because it's slowing down your gut motility and your eating cues, and depending on what you're actually eating, when you do finally feel like you want to eat something, because I mean, even for my clients that have utilized a semaglutide, not because I necessarily instructed them to, of course, um, but when they have they have almost 100% of the time gotten the constipation. Constipation will happen. And as we know, we need your fecal matter to get out of your body because your body will reuptake all of those toxins. So you do want to get some sort of fiber supplement, something to try to help your gut, even though it's it might be futile effort because that's just the way, unfortunately, this medicine works. But we really don't want uh, a negative side effect by you just kind of being a toilet <laughs> for your own self um, and just like not passing anything through because that's not fun, not healthy. And yeah, honestly, those are nausea and constipation are the two worst side effects that almost everybody experiences long term. Like for this, this, this is weeks on end. This isn't always uh, just a few days. So do know if so if you are somebody who is considering utilizing a semaglutide, do know you're signing up for quite a miserable time. And I would say that that is probably one of my biggest uh, yellow or red flags for this medicine, um, especially for all of the people I know who are currently on it or who were on it. Um, it's a miserable time, guys. It's it's like you're dying. It essentially is like you're dying in a way. <laughs> like you have massive brain fog, you're nauseous, you can't feel like you can eat anything, you have no energy because you're basically not eating anything and your gut is moving really slow and uh, you're constipated, you can't poop or you're just pooping your brains out and um, sometimes you're vomiting and you can't control it and sometimes you're just running an unusual fever, you know. Um, it's It's really not a good time and so um, just know that it doesn't come with like a lot of glitz and glamour, even if a lot of people kind of like hide it just to kind of promote their happy-go-lucky experience on it. Um, if people were real about it, and if you really do look into more, um, a lot of people have not had good experiences taking this med because that's just how it works, unfortunately. You can't reduce your food and mess with your gut motility at an unnatural way and not have those natural symptoms occur.
the last question that somebody might have is how much does it cost? And uh, the thing that is is insane to me, especially uh, in my industry, is the amount it costs. Um, and okay, so the the drug maker of semaglutide is Novo Nordisk. And I mean, they most certainly must be happy because the average daily cost um, for those with insurance is anywhere from like $150 to $300 a month. If you are not in insurance, you are most likely going to be paying $1,000 to $1,500 per month. Um, sometimes it's $1,000 per shot. It depends on what situation you're in, if your practitioner is compounding it with a pharmacy themselves or if they are getting it from these um major pharmaceutical companies that are making it on their own. And that's something notable. I would be leery to get a uh, locally compounded version because it's not as regulated and um, a big brand name and FDA approval stamp on the formulas and chemicals utilized, ingredients, etc., um, are not as regulated if it's in a private compounding facility. So just note that as well, if you have talked to a doctor, I mean, this, this drug is everywhere. Like I was just talking to a friend of mine about how it's insane that even beauty spas are selling semaglutides. And that honestly makes me a little bit suspect of its safety and efficacy, especially if it's um, so easily distributed amongst um, different businesses and practitioners that aren't historically or classically um, licensed to prescribe such major drugs, you know? So if you were wondering how much it costs, it costs roughly $1,000 out of pocket um, every month more or less. And it kind of just depends, again, where you're getting it sourced from and whatnot. But it blows my mind that so many people will balk at the cost of like natural functional medicine testing, (laughs) but they will jump on the chance to buy a multiple thousand dollar program with a shot that they have to administer into themselves and then feel like crap. (laughs) You know, for me, like my own personal opinion, um, I just find that very interesting on a human case study, I would say, on what is more important, I guess, and what we we view and spend our money on. But I mean, it's something that we've all known. Women will spend so much money on makeup and things like that and their hair, but they won't spend much money on like a consistent uh, personal trainer or something like that that they have to show up for. Uh, But blow $800 on extensions for one month? Sure, why not? You know, it's crazy. And again, I'm not like shaming people. It's just something for you to think about in perspective that it is a little bit nuts that we will run and throw our money at quote unquote miracle drugs and or, you know, different things that are temporary. When in reality, the bigger thing that is important is actually building um, health skills and awareness and understanding of your own individual body that are going to be a little bit more lifelong lasting and definitely not as miserable as like something like a semaglutide. So that is a good segue into what are my thoughts overall. So here are some of my kind of major thoughts on this hot take on Ozempic, semaglutides, all that in general. First thing I kind of want to note is that something that a lot of people, um, 
that I kind of deduced with one of my clients who was taking it as well as from the various experiences that people have said that I've listened to on either other podcasts or YouTube, et cetera, is that a lot of people realize that they had um, the most, the worst nausea as well as vomiting um, after having fried food. So a lot of people were just kind of uh, theorizing that perhaps this is just because it's a, a high, um, high calorie meal, like a big meal. And it's like your body being like, this is way too much. Get it out of here kind of thing on the right track. But let's bring it back down a little bit further. What did we just learn in episode 22? The macronutrient fats. Fats are extremely calorically dense because they take a lot more energy to digest aka they're nine calories and calories are how much it takes your body to heat up and burn that molecule. So um, a fat gram or calorie is going to be a little over twice as hard to digest as a carb or a protein. Carbs and proteins are four calories per gram. So what does that tell you? The other thing too is like fats because of that We have learned that you usually utilize fats to slow down your digestion, to manage your blood sugar when you're eating normally. This is without taking this medication at all. And so fats already slow down digestion. That's with your digestion working at regular speed. So now you're taking a high fat meal. So anything fried is a high fat meal. The overall calories are part of it, but that's not entirely the whole picture. It's really just that you are consuming way too much of this dense molecule that cannot be digested quickly at all. So now your body is faced with a lot of in proportion to carbs and protein of a really uh, rich meal, essentially. And so what I have kind of deduced it down to is that um, you really should reduce your consumption of high fatty foods if you are going to be taking a semaglutide. This can mean not following like some people, I guess, take, uh, they want to do like a double whammy and they try to do like keto and a semaglutide. Well, you're probably going to set yourself up for a lot of nausea and possibly vomiting because that's a lot of fat on the gut. And it's going to like overwhelm your really slow down digestive system. So that's one of my first hot takes is that it's important to understand that macronutrients play a role in how your body is going to react to the medication in general, as well as your experience with it potentially. And um, that was the first question I asked one of my clients who had gotten super sick after eating a really rich high in fat meal was like, okay, well, what did you eat before that? Like what could have uh, correlated to this reaction? And sure enough, it was a high fatty meal. So I am fairly certain high fat foods are going to be more rejected by this med because it's harder to digest in comparison to carbs and proteins. Um, So maybe sticking to more of a carb and protein oriented eating style when you do finally feel hungry to eat might help you better. Another thing that is not ideal is like the brain fog and the mood changes that occur with uh, taking any type of semaglutide. Again, majority of your mood is in your gut, as we already know. So it also is not super surprising that people are getting a downed mood and or just foggy, slow function and fatigue 
because their gut is real, real messed up, honestly. Um, and that's where I get a little skeptical about the long-term effects of this med because it kind of seems risky. And it also seems like, is that a quality of life worth living just to be smaller? So that's a good question to ask if you're somebody who is not trying to take it to manage your diabetes or anything like that. For those of you who are taking it to manage your diabetes and get your body in a position where it is lighter, like especially for anybody who's above that 45% body fat percentage, um, it could be worth it for you to experience those lower intensity symptoms and side effects versus having those long-term chronic knee pains from being overweight and or um, life-threatening heart conditions or um, diabetic side effects as well. That might outweigh (laughs) those risks for sure. So to kind of further that, if you are somebody who lands in that category of having a metabolic disorder, anywhere from something like type 2 diabetes to being a person who has um, either constant hunger cues, where you just feel like you constantly need to be eating, which is a metabolic disorder with your how your gut is communicating to your brain. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that. They don't understand how the gut works and how your different um, hormones and enzymes communicate from brain to body. Um, <laughs> even though everybody has felt hungry before. So that's literally your gut telling you like, hey, feed me. Um, so if it, your gut can do that, your gut can get into a position where it's doing that too frequently. Uh And that is something we are seeing a lot more nowadays that we don't fully understand. And so that's where we kind of blanket term it as a metabolic disorder. Um, And we're seeing it a lot more and more, especially as people are more chronically morbidly obese. Um, And that just means over 40 to 45% body fat percentage. And another group that is really unique to kind of, I talked a little bit about it in the beginning of this podcast, but to kind of continue that conversation to help you get a more well-rounded understanding of different categories of people where semaglutides might be beneficial or have a useful place um, for the everyday person potentially is the fact that it's a, a little bit of a misconception at this point that people just like to say, Uh, How selfish are people that they take away a drug from people who actually need it, aka the diabetics? Yes, very valid and true, 100%. And like I said before, um, it was originally developed for diabetics. However, there's also a situation now where the FDA did approve it. um, I believe it was actually even in late 2021 potentially, I think, Um, they did approve it for weight loss as well. So the drug is not just approved for diabetics and people are just getting prescribed a diabetic medication. No, that's incorrect. Um, It actually is something that is also has been approved to be sold for weight loss. And any doctor, including apparently beauty spas, are allowed to uh, prescribe and uh, carry semaglutides for whoever fits in this weight loss category. So while it did cause a nationwide shortage at one point for it because of the demand suddenly skyrocketing, um, it was for a multitude of reasons. It wasn't just a bunch of vain people trying to get skinny all of a sudden. There's a large group of people who have these unique metabolic disorders And before all you bro science people go like, there's no such thing as a hormone issue for fat and stuff like that. People who say that don't understand a multitude of bodies that are out there, specifically the female body. 
the female body, the reason why we hardly have any scientific studies on it is because it's weird. It does really interesting things that sometimes are inexplainable. And so it's, it's important to understand that we don't fully understand the situation and metabolic um, environments we are putting our bodies into by being in the second and third generation of like morbid obesity. Our bodies have never had this high of a body fat percentage before. This is not the other kind of buzz topic right now of you're genetically fat. That is biologically not true. We have actual um, U.S. census graphs showing the spike in body fat percentage over the last uh, less than 100 years. And it's obviously not our genetics changing because our genetics can't change that fast. But are we influencing our gut bacteria, which influences our body fat and our hormones and our lifestyles? Essentially, it's very dominantly our lifestyles as well as what we eat, um, being victims of like chemically engineered for taste and addiction foods like processed foods. So it's kind of this combination of a lot of things, but ultimately those are the big common denominators of what is influencing these very unique to modern science metabolic disorders that we are still trying to figure out because we do know that once people um, have existed in a morbidly obese state, this is over 50% body fat, we have discovered that they cannot uh, lose fat as easily as other people because the body starts to fight against it. It actually starts to make you hungrier because it's trying to protect its homeostasis. This is a fact. You can look up majority of obesity studies and why it's so unique that people can't just suddenly decide to eat in a deficit. So all the people that keep slapping around, eat in a deficit, you lazy person, um, it's really unfair because they don't quite understand that it's not the same as that anymore. It's not as easy as it is for somebody who's like leaner and who's maintained a leaner doesn't even mean like super small and fit. Leaner can just mean anybody who's in that, like, again, under 40% body fat percentage. Those people might have a better connection internally with proper hormone hunger cues when your body is telling you I'm hungry when your body's telling you I'm done being hungry. So it's important to distinguish that because there's a lot of people who are finding that um, I guess they're kind of calling it food noise. I've heard from uh, several friends and podcasts that are talking about this is a common term being thrown around for uh, this metabolic disorder situation that a lot of people have where they can no longer shut the noise of being hungry off in their brain. Their brain is always saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. And um, it's so much to the extent that semaglutides are actually one of the first things that are shutting that noise out. And that can be extremely helpful for a lot of people who are struggling and battling with this because you can be put in a literal home being fed certain things, being made to exercise and all that kind of stuff. And you still will have this internal battle of this different metabolic environment that is um, very unusual. And it's, I mean, it's more common now, but that doesn't mean it's normal. So we're still understanding the price we pay for being above 50% body fat for several decades now, but we have not even had a century of humans in mass amounts like we have now um, at the body fat percentages that we are now. So 
that's something that really is important to distinguish for these conversations as well, um, especially about semaglutides, because it's not just for diabetics, potentially, it's also for that person who has been struggling with trying to get body fat off of them um, and have lead a lifestyle like raise multiple kids, are working a full-time job, just seriously cannot get certain things in check, but their their knees hurt because they're so overweight or they're at risk for heart disease because of this or that. And perhaps those short-term like um, symptoms that you might experience when you go onto a semaglutide um, are not as bad as these chronic long-term things that you've been dealing with for multiple years. So there's a plethora of people out there who have taken the taken semaglutides to help themselves get at least even closer into a healthier body fat, not necessarily turning mega svelte and uh, lean and fit. You know what I mean? They are just trying to get to a healthier body fat percentage to support their body for a longer term. So that is an area where I actually have adjusted my personal opinion on Ozempic and uh, just any of the different semaglutides is I totally understand this separate group of humans that definitely deserve to explore this med potentially for short short term, um, again, to see if it can help them get into that position. So that is the one caveat. I through all this research, definitely adjusted my initial opinion on it. And so that's why I wanted to share this piece and spend a little bit of time on it because it is really important for people to see the bigger picture. It's not just, oh, these people are just trying to be skinny and they're messing up the life for diabetics. Um, No, (laughs) that's not, not the only category. And it's also actually been opened to being medicated for weight loss as well. So it's no longer just a diabetes medication. So that's a, those are categories where this medication might be massively beneficial for you, um, at least in a short-term period of a couple of years or so adjacent to diet and lifestyle changes like anything else. It's a little bit iffy on the general recommendation that people stay on it for the rest of their life. I don't really like that concept. I not only think it could put you at more risk for some of those negative long-term adverse effects of the med in general for like your thyroid and your pancreas, et cetera. But I also think that it's just kind of a very convenient ploy for big pharma in general. And we already know they like to make a lot of money, as much money as possible. So I am a little bit sketched out by that concept. And I don't know if it's actually um, legitimately a thing, like if you do really need to stay on it forever, or if you get to more of a goal weight, and then you (laughs) you switch that thousand dollars a month that you're spending into a high quality personal trainer and perhaps a nutritionist or a health coach in general to help you stay on track and check in with you, et cetera, and put muscle on because muscle is always going to be metabolically more beneficial. And my answer to do I really need to be on it for the rest of my life is I'm not sure from all the evidence I've seen. Some people say yes, like the doctors and people who are got the golden handcuffs to big pharma or people who have experienced it on their own and gotten off of it and maintained it. And there are definitely a lot of people who have gotten off of it, did zero of the nutrition um, mindset change work or any of that stuff and just have gained the weight back pretty instantaneously. 
Another big area that I see it to be not good, not healthy, and possibly a big red flag, like a just walk away now <laughs> kind of thing, is uh, if, if you have ever dealt with a really bad relationship with dieting and eating disorders in general. So if you've had a either diagnosed or just chronic eating disorder from your youth or your adulthood currently in the past, etc., I do not recommend semaglutides at all. Uh, they will mess with your relationship with food by default of it literally working by making you not eat food, not feel like eating food, etc. And I think that is extremely dangerous. And I do know for one of my clients who was utilizing um, a semaglutide who had a history of eating disorders, um, regardless of that concept. Um, and again, I didn't get a huge say in it because I'm going to just follow what uh, practitioners and the clients truly are desiring. And this was actually something though we had a lot of this conversation where I very much stated, I'm uncomfortable with you doing this uh, just because of your past with an ED. She agreed. But at the same time, the current situation for her health was outweighing our concerns with that and same with her practitioner. So then she decided to go ahead and move forward with it. And we decided at any moment, if things get really bad, again, we're completely stopping the med. So that is a conversation worth having if you are somebody who is considering utilizing a semaglutide and you have a history with eating disorders. So huge huge, um, important part right there. You should really be on the same page with your entire healthcare team and family, friends, partner, et cetera, to make sure you stay in check on that because eating disorders aren't, uh, aren't something to play around with as we know. So, um, that is the biggest negative side effect for a certain category of females and people out there who I think should not even consider semaglutides. So if you've dealt with it before, be very careful with this med. So should you take this if you are under 35% body fat? Um, in my professional opinion, no, I don't believe the risks outweigh the benefits, especially as we know, many long-term studies that exceed like 10 years have not been done yet. So um, for example, the diet drug that was a big hit in the 90s was Fenfen, and it took almost a decade to be like, oh, this is causing heart attacks and various other things. Let's take that off the market now. Um, so we don't know the long-term side effects of um, semaglutides yet because we just haven't had them on the public market long enough. I think they've quite literally only been publicly available in the last four years, maybe only three years. Um, and so we need to see the mass population react to a medication for at least a decade because human bodies have kind of chapters and roughly a decade is a good way to kind of gauge um, a next chapter marker, so to speak, for health. Um, so we really would like to see uh, what is what is it going to look like for people who mess with their gut for extended periods of time? Um, can the organs sustain that? You know, And if we're already seeing in short-term studies, um, especially even in the mice, too much of a burden on the pancreas, on the gallbladder, and on um, your, uh, your thyroid, that's not great because those are a lot of your metabolic um, and digestive organs that your body does need um, for various reasons. So it, you know, it's kind of a little bit shifty. Like I would like to know better, like 
what does this mean long-term? Even if somebody just takes it for like a year and then stops, does that have like a footprint on their overall health journey longevity? So kind of overall, many people with modest body fat adjustment goals. So like if you're 35% body fat and under, you're going to do worlds better to just take the time to work on your mental relationship with food and exercise, finding what works for you, understanding the food you eat, learning your body, understanding what works for it. Again, go back to the macro series if you want to better understand the food you eat. And you might also want to work on your relationship to others and maybe yourself. This is more in a way to just get really uh, down and dirty with you and understanding what do I not truly really understand about food? Because there's a huge world of nutrition to better understand. And once my clients do understand food better, the power is in their hands to, to deduce every single meal that they have and not in a neurotic way, but in a way that's just kind of more freeing because you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't eat this because I barely moved it all today. Uh, okay, I can totally eat this and enjoy my life because like I lift weights four or five times a week and I have more muscle. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that go into managing your body weight that honestly, from my experience, the general population has no clue about and is not taught in school, unfortunately. And it's so simple. Once you get around to it, you might just have to invest a couple of weeks or several months or maybe a couple of years to really honing in and mastering it. But once you have it down, you don't, you don't need diet pills. You don't need to, uh, go to crazy workout classes anymore because you should have the tools to understand what lifestyle and nutrition habits work for you as an individual. And that is always going to supersede any medication because looking gaunt and feeling miserable just to fulfill this cultural stereotype of being worthy based off of being skinny has so much diminishing returns. And in my personal experience, and it's far less enjoyable or rewarding as just taking your health into your own hands and perhaps adjusting the way you view your overall health and physique and not comparing yourself and measuring your worth against a body size. I'm going to just mic drop on myself because you probably should listen to that 18 times over. You do not need to be skinnier and take a medication that's going to make you miserable to be valuable in this planet. Okay. You don't need to. That's my hot take on Ozempic and any other sem semaglutide is you don't need to be bone skinny to have value and good health in this world. Skinny does not equate to health. Okay, Rebels, so thank you for listening to this episode. And I really hope that you found the information that was provided helpful and kind of empowering so that you can kind of move forward in this uh, Ozempic craze world with better knowledge of how to navigate these conversations or how to absorb or digest content that you see that might sway you into believing like, oh, I should probably take this or whatever. And maybe you're a person in the categories that I talked about that might benefit from a semaglutide. Um, but as always, I want to remind you that the information shared in this podcast is not intended to replace professional medical advice. The content presented is for educational purposes only and is not supposed to be used as a substitute for a consultation with a qualified healthcare professional, etc. So please consult with your doctor or any other qualified healthcare provider before making changes to your healthcare routine. So anyways, had to say that because you know you gotta cover your own butt these days, but um, 
Thank you for tuning in. And as always, I would love for you to celebrate your strength and nourishment, walk with confidence, and I will catch you next week on another episode of Rebel Wellness. Hey you, thanks for tuning in to our latest episode of Rebel Wellness. If you've been enjoying our conversations around health, fitness, and wellness, we have some exciting news for you. We've recently launched an Instagram page for the Rebel Wellness Podcast, where we'll be sharing inspiring quotes from every episode, behind the scenes moments, and updates about upcoming episodes. So be sure to follow us at Rebel Wellness Podcast on Instagram to stay connected with our community. And it's growing, so I'm really excited about it. That's not all though. I also want to introduce you to at Coach by Kales, which is my flagship fitness and wellness coaching business, as I am so passionate about empowering individuals like you to live their healthiest and most enjoyable lives. So if you would love to join me there as well, follow my page for daily inspiration, fitness tips, nutrition tips, sometimes even healthy recipes, as well as debunking more myths around the health and fitness industry in general. By following both pages, you'll be joining a community of like-minded individuals who are all committed to living their best lives as well. So don't hesitate, hit that follow button and join us on this journey to wellness. Again, thank you for listening and I hope to catch you on the gram.